This is Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Be Heard Talk. Happy Sunday for all of our listeners who are listening and watching live. Be Heard Talk is an award-winning talk show that adds a taste of hip-hop, a side of Shakur, and spice to unflavored news. Each Sunday, we discuss race, politics, and culture from an unapologetic Black millennial perspective, and we give you the opportunity to be heard. So leave us comments on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and LinkedIn. We will be reading as much as possible. And for the next several weeks, we've partnered with Black Enterprise as our official media sponsor as we unpack the 2020 election and its impact on the Black community. My name is Selena Hill. I'm the digital editor at Black Enterprise and the founder of Be Her Talk. I'm super excited to be with you here today to talk about police reform and the 2020 election with our very special guest, Rodney W. Jacobs Jr., who is the assistant director for the City of Miami Civilian Investigative Panel. But before we introduce Rodney, I'm actually gonna kick it back over to my co-host to introduce themselves, starting with Stanley Fritz. Hey, what's going on, beautiful people? This is Stanley Fritz. You can find me on Twitter at Stan Fritz. You can find me on Instagram at Stan Fritz. You can find me on Snapchat at Dark Skin Swindle, but I only go there for the filters. And if you're wondering why I'm on this show, well, I have a particular set of skills. I am a writer by day, night, and evening. And to pay my bills, I'm the New York State political director at Citizen Action of New York. And I'm seeing Tammy's immaculate bangs and happy to see her back on the show again. With the bangs. Yes, the bang. Thank you for the nice introduction, Stanley. Selena, you look so beautiful and inspirational as usual. Nice to meet you, Rodney. I'm so happy to be back. Thank you all for having me. Um, as some of you may not know, I've taken a small leave of absence from the show just for bereavement, but I'm super happy to be back. Today, although I am your problematic fave, I'm going to be a little less problematic because I'm super thrilled to just get to know Rodney and to hear about the state of police reform in this country as it continues to evolve. Um, but before we get to our main story, which I'm super stoked about, I'm going to be leading y'all as usual through the News Roundup, which is a weekly collection of stories that made you twerk in the case of Miss Black China and her bank, or get really, 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 really pissed off that Black lives still don't freaking matter. So thank you for tuning in. You can follow us at Be Heard Talk. And if you have any stories for next week, hit us up there. Um, before we get into the news roundup, I just wanna say that Black men are on one lately. Like, I do not respect Tory Lane's dusty self, but even Offset. Offset bought Cardi a car and they're back together. Why is it that black women get no respect? Rodney, I know you were hyped to talk about this, so I'm gonna shoot it to you first. I need to I need to know. Listen, all right, so so a couple of things here. I mean, if we're gonna first uh, unpack the Tory Lane situation, although they kind of lead or bleed into one another, I think they're completely different in some ways. Uh, when we look at the Tory Lane situation and him shooting Megan Thee Stallion, 
that was completely like outside of like most people's consciousness. I mean, even so much so that the LA County District Attorney decided, hey, we're gonna press charges on this. Now, the, the interesting thing about that whole dynamic is that some are saying that Megan forgave, some say that she didn't. Obviously, Tori got the whole rap album now, now that I think is just to gain uh, momentum behind this standpoint. But more than likely in these kinds of cases, the district attorney isn't bringing charges unless Megan is looking to fully cooperate with that investigation. So in looking at this whole thing in tandem, it looks like this Tory might be seeing some real jail time because it just so happens if you're black and a man in America and you shoot someone, you're probably going to jail. Well, for those of you who are new to this story, uh, Tory Lanes and Megan the Stallion went to a party together in July and Houston's number one hot girl during an argument in Tory Lanez SUV got shot in the foot by Tory Lanez. They were pulled over by police. Video clips show Meg the Stallion walking backwards with a bloody foot. And over the last couple of months in this saga, many men with stained underwear and halitosis have rushed to Tory Lanez's defense, pleading with others to see his side despite evidence. Now, Megan the Stallion has kept her mouth closed because of the fear of repercussions that Tory Lanez is now seeing, facing up to 22 years in prison, which some are saying is a ridiculous charge for simply having a gun and firing it off. Um, Megan the Stallion was not critically injured and she actually spoke about it very little after it first happened, but had to clear the air after Tory Lanez's team began smearing her as a liar. So to me, I know the two stories are different, but I really do see a parallel in sort of black men using black women when it's convenient and then like dumping them and disrespecting them as soon as they feel threatened or feel like they're not getting exactly what they want. You know, Offset cheated on Cardi and she had the gumption to leave him and he's effectively still harassing her. And Tory Lanez, some are saying that he may have been rejected or they were arguing about something petty, but either way, he felt the need to pull a gun on a black woman. So I wanna ask Stanley, where are all of Tory's supporters who are who used to say there are two sides of the stories? And do you think that because there's an actual charge that black men will sort of back off from these stories because we see evidence now that it actually did happen in Megan's life? Well, no, absolutely not. And the reason it's not going to happen is the same reason we're talking about this story is because patriarchy seeps into everything and it seeps into rap culture as well, patriarchy and sexism. And the reason that a woman, a black woman could be shot in the back of the foot and the person that was accused of shooting her in the back of the foot could not provide any evidence that he didn't do it, but then bash her and then try to capitalize over her injury the day after another black man refused to hold the cops that murdered Breonna Taylor accountable is because we have a deep-seated issue with humanizing and seeing women for who they are. So for those of you who are in the chat worried, wondering why we're talking about rap gossip, that's why. Because hip-hop and rap are a part of our culture, and so is patriarchy and sexism. And we have to address it. And what does that mean? Patriarchy, it's the idea that the world is centered around leadership and the ideologies of men and men only, whether that makes sense or not. And it doesn't really make much sense, but that's the space that we're existing in right now. And for those men who don't like to grease their elbows, who don't like the white properly so their underwears get abolished every single time they wear them, you really should have a seat because we don't want to hear from you anymore. 
You know, Stanley, you make a good point, but I also want to throw a little sprinkling of racism into this conversation about the patriarchy because we need to talk. I, I always want to talk about the fact specifically that it is black women who are never believed. If this was a white woman, there is, you know, despite this being a male centric society, people would be running to her defense if she was white. And secondly, Tory Lanez is a black man who, yes, was not treating women according to the way they should be treating, but is now facing an arguably intense consequence, 22 years in prison for, you know, something that wasn't fatal or even seriously life-threatening. Selena, do you think that the charge that Tory Lanez got is too much? Or do you think that it's just enough in light of Stan's comments about how the patriarchy constantly gets away with this kind of treatment of women? Yeah, like number one, let me just plus one everything Stanley said and Rodney 100% agree. Um, I'm, I'm definitely don't have the expertise to say if this charge is too much or too little. However, I do think it sets an example um, and I do not believe that even if he was convicted, he would serve 23 years in prison. Like, again, he is a rapper. I assuming that he is, you know, well played and will have some, high, you know, well paid, high powered attorneys working with him on his side. Um, but the example to me is something that we definitely need to hone in on because it shows that there will be consequences when people are injured, particularly in domestic disputes. And when you have a woman who is being harmed and a black woman at that. Um, so yeah, I'm happy that the DA finally were able to bring up these charges against him. The thing I'm not happy about is all of the people I'm seeing defend Tory Lanez. Uh, Stanley and I did a live show a few days ago and we talked about this issue and a number of people chimed in to the chat talking about how they, um, how uh, Megan, I did not believe Megan Thee Stallion, despite the, the evidence that corroborated her argument and also saying that maybe she even deserved it because um, she's allegedly about five, nine and Tory Lanez is about five, three. And, you know, may, they were saying that, oh, she he needed that to protect um, to protect himself, like needed to use a firearm, like not just the people in the chat, but people in just on the Internet. They're saying these things. And then in the chat, we heard that same type of sentiment. And that's extremely problematic. We've talked about this issue on this show a number of times. When it comes to Breonna Taylor, everyone is rallying around protect black women. But when we have an incident like this where a black woman was shot, um, you're saying you don't believe her. And you're saying that you need more evidence. You're saying you need to hear Tory's side of the the side of the story. No, keep that same energy, bro. Word, Rodney. I know that you know we transitioned from the offset conversation, but I do want to continue talking about Tory Lanes. In light of the fact that Tory Lanes has been constantly tweeting about and promoting his presence at Brianna Taylor rallies and protests and marches. Do you think that he is being sincere um, in parallel to how he's treating this Megan situation? Or are you one of those people who really do think that we need to wait and like he says that this charge is not necessarily a conviction? Well, what's, what, I guess what strikes me as somewhat hypocritical by Tory's statements is that you do see a lot of the presentation that he has 
um, insofar as it relates to Breonna Taylor and things of that nature. But a lot of these things that are coming out now with social justice reform and um, people just being involved with what's happening with Black lives, it, it kind of hits in two ways. In some ways, it seems as though Tory may be in support of just Black people dying in general and not necessarily the fact that it was a Black woman. Um, and also it could just be because this is the thing to do. This is what's trending. Um, I, I think a lot of that underscores the legitimacy of his claims as well. And like I said earlier, when I stated this, listen, the DA probably wouldn't be charging this. And bear in mind that I don't even think Tory Lanez is an American citizen. He's considered a foreign national in some ways because I think he was birthed in, in Canada. So that being the case, now that adds a different layer of a cherry on top. You're a district attorney in Los Angeles and now you're charging a citizen of another country and threatening to imprison them for 22 years. Most foreign governments don't take that lightly unless there's an overwhelming amount of evidence. So the fact that they're able to go charge, I mean, I think a lot of us um, have a good idea of what it takes to charge anyone now in America because all of us have been watching what it takes to convict a police officer for the last year and a half to two years. So I think the evidence is probably not in his favor. And if I was him, I would get a good attorney and probably stop talking as soon as quick, as soon as possible. Word. Well, at least we know that as he keeps saying, the charge is not a conviction. So let's hope he does lawyer up because we all saw the videos. I just want to plus one Mark White who says via LinkedIn, he was wrong for pulling a gun out at all. Could not agree with you more, Mark. Word. Yeah, this that he allegedly loved at the time. I mean, I can't even imagine. I don't care how much bigger Megan was in height. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. You know, just pure. It doesn't make sense. Well, moving on from the Tory Lanez uh, story, I have another story of a uh, charge that probably won't lead to a conviction. And I'm glad that we talked a little bit about the state of things happening in America because we have a new chapter in the book called Black Lives Still Don't Matter. Um, Jonathan Price's murder officer, Sean Lucas, has finally been fired from the Wolf City Police Department and is being charged with murder. But already the white supremacy shenanigans have begun. In a statement, his attorney, Robert Rogers, is saying that Price did not claim to be an uninvolved, innocent party before Lucas attempted to detain him. So they're saying that Price was a part of the argument and that Lucas was just doing his job in detaining him. The attorney is also claiming that Jonathan Price refused repeated instructions and physically resisted, attempting to take a taser away from Officer Lucas. He goes on to say that the officer only discharged his weapon in accordance with Texas law and was confronted with a, quote, aggressive assailant. Several eyewitness accounts have come forward on Price's side saying that the officer has been known to antagonize black locals before he targeted Price and that in fact, this officer was gaining a reputation in their very small town as the new cop whose harassing behavior a growing list of people had experienced. And the domestic argument that caused Price to even intervene was over by the time Lucas arrived. So already we're seeing that despite the fact that Officer Lucas is charged, they're trying to get him off by saying that Price was involved in the argument, it was popping off, and he was resisting. I want to ask, Stanley, is this, do you think that this case will play out any differently considering that Officer Lucas was, quote, reputed to be a little bit harsh and that people are already so early on vouching for Price's good character? No, no, 
There's, there's been nothing that's shown us that this is the case. I remember a couple of years ago, there was a cop that shot a guy in the back three times. And then the cop said, the cop threw his taser on him and said that his life was in danger. And they were going to go with that story until someone released a video showing that the man Walter Scott was running away and the cop shot him and then threw his taser on the dead body. No, it doesn't matter how many people vouch for this black man's reputation. We know that the police are a military force for the states and they're usually there to uphold white supremacy and capitalism. More than likely, if this cop even gets charged with, with anything, it'll be a slap on the wrist. Well, Rodney, you did mention um, in earlier story that in the wake of what's happening, these charges are moving like a little bit differently. What do you think? Do you feel like with everything that's happening, including the fact that Breonna Taylor's saga is not yet closed, do you think that there's more of a chance that this guy might actually be convicted? Actually, yeah, so I have a little bit of hope about this one, and some of it is actually it actually hinges on the fact that these these are two different parties. I mean, and I and I think Stanley said it earlier in regards to D Daniel Cameron over there in Kentucky. They kind of had their own way of doing things that leaves a lot to be desired, and it's leaving a lot of people skeptical. This officer has already been charged with murder, so that at least gives us some light at the end of the tunnel to say, hey, this may end differently. Um, I, I think looking at the initial reports, and obviously it's still going to be ongoing. Uh, the cop alleges that he tried to discharge his taser uh, to break up the altercation. And there has been a different nuance of story as it has been changed. And oftentimes in, in my uh, situation, um, I, I look at the, uh, uh, I guess, the, the facts of the matter as they, as they play out and I always say, hey, it's not hard to um, uh, you know, tell the truth twice. Um, and here we're already seeing different variations of the story. Uh, so I, I think there is some, some chance here for, um, uh, for the district attorney that may be uh, looking for a prosecution. And it, it does vote well that he's already been charged with murder. Mm. Selena, based on how the media is spinning this story, do you, and, and, and I kind of want you to elaborate a little bit more on what you've seen since you're actually in the media. Um, mm. Do you feel like the media's reaction is equivalent to sort of the community's reaction? Do you feel like this time, based on the coverage that Jonathan Price is getting, even with headlines using his name versus the cop's name, which has historically not really happened, do you think that the media's spinning will affect the outcome? Possibly. I know that when we covered the story at Black Enterprise, um, I made sure that Jonathan Price's name was in the headline. Um, and, and I did that intentionally. However, let me just talk about something that really concerns me that also is in the media, or at least in the blog world. Um, so it was uncovered that Jonathan Price, four months before being shot down by police, he had put out a Facebook post praising police, um, saying that his interactions with police throughout his 32 years of life, um, I think he was about 32, um, were very positive. Um, he said that he had like white family members or people, well, he had like a second family that was white who he praised and uplifted and loved. And then he also said that, and I quote, he had an addiction to white women. Now, this when this report came out, the reason why it was controversial was people were saying, oh, well, he was a Blue Lives Matter type of Negro, if you will, look what happened. And I want to just say, despite his views on police, despite whatever, you know, he was putting out on Facebook, this black man did not deserve to be shot down and murdered, executed by a police officer. 
Okay. And I just wanted to put that out because this was the sentiment in our community. And look, I read some of the posts and I thought they were very cringe, cringeworthy. And I don't agree at all with that type of sentiment. But I do agree that Black Lives Matter, no matter what you think and no matter where you fall on your political views and beliefs. So I do want to just point that out. Word. Thank you for pointing that out. And honestly, it's really necessary to continue noting that no amount of respectability will save you from being shot if you are perceived as a threat. Blackness is a perceived threat in America. And it doesn't matter if you're a quote unquote hoodlum and you got on a hoodie, baggy jeans, you look like you might be carrying, or if you're a nerdy little Ivy League bird watcher, or even if you are someone that loves and respects police. The way that you are perceived will give you inherent danger. Stan, I know that you you have a lot to say on this topic, so do you want to wrap this story? Listen, just because a white woman gave you some in college when she was mad at her dad doesn't mean your black life matters. It just doesn't. Just because white people find you as a benevolent adoptive option doesn't mean that they actually care about your lives. The fact of the matter is that you can both like a black person and value some black people and still uphold white supremacy. And you could have had good encounters with police or no bad encounters with police. The same way you could be in the water with a shark and the shark doesn't get you that one time. A shark is gonna shark and a cop is gonna cop, especially when you're black. And in addition to white women is just inherently dangerous. White women have always been the cause of much violence and trauma in black lives. So I don't know why anyone would say that, but despite all of those things that I wouldn't agree with, his life still matters. So I'm with you, Selena. Word. Okay, well, thanks for sharing your opinion, y'all. I wanna get to another story about a sort of white supremacist that is spreading mayhem at the moment. Just to give you all the typical weekly Trump update, uh, Trump has been called now since testing positive on September 30th by many health experts, a super spreader. So a super spreader of coronavirus is an individual known to be a single point of transmission, causing an unusually large number of people to contract the illness. Um, Trump throughout his diagnosis and illness has recklessly continued to dismiss the severity of coronavirus as a whole, its effect on most Americans, and has continued to put his family, political circle, and honestly, everyone at the White House at risk for contracting it. Um, first, he had his Rose Garden event which is where allegedly several members of his party, including Kellyanne Conway, Chris Christie, and Stephen Miller were, have said, were said to have contracted COVID-19. And two weeks after this event, he has held another on the South Lawn with no social distancing. This time, it was before an audience of Black and Latino Americans, groups who have been disproportionately affected by the pandemic. So far, Trump has infected over 34 people with COVID, sadly, a number of those being White House residents and support staffers. Dismissing concerns about high rate of transmission around him and with the help of his shady physician at Walter Reed, Trump is now planning at least three campaign rallies next week in Florida, Pennsylvania, and Iowa. And he has refused to do a virtual debate in lieu of a debate in person. His doctor has now claimed he is no longer a risk of transmission. However, they refuse to issue proof that he is negative for coronavirus. 
Rodney, do you think he's no longer transmitting? Like, especially because the doctor said that he, like he hasn't said that he's negative. Oh, I think you're muted. I said, listen, as word went, Trump is absolutely still contagious. And, and mind you, although Trump is the super spreader in chief right now, and he's doing all these other um, uh, talks on the on the White House lawn and the Rose Garden, I think he's actually going back on the rallies as well. And his uh, doctors are being very cagey about their information. He's doing this because he understands that there is a real chance he will lose re-election. So in some ways, this level of urgency coming from Trump right now to really get on the rallies when he was literally on his deathbed a month or a week ago, it gives me some uh, level of encouragement to know that he is going to be susceptible to a loss. One thing that isn't being brought up here um, as much, and, and I think it should, is that uh, the, the hypocritical nature of, of the COVID treatment that he received while in the hospital, there's a lot of people out here right now, especially with the appointment of Amy Coney Barrett going um, to the Supreme Court, that have been talking about Trump's pro-life uh, choices and pro-life stance and overturning Roe v. Wade. And I don't know what side of the alley you follow on that, and I'm not here to debate any of that because that's probably for another show and another time. But the fact of the matter is Trump received um, a treatment that uses fetal tissue in order to give him somewhat of an advantage over the coronavirus. It was literally like stem cells 2.0 that gave him his advantage over the coronavirus, something that utilized, you name it, fetal tissue, right? So it, it's one of these, I, this whole last like five or six months in the Trump campaign has been literally like hypocrisy on steroids. And, and I think it's getting worse now as you see him going back out and rally. So I, I don't see Trump uh, letting off the gas here. I, I, I did see Chris Christie come out of the hospital. They said that he may be thinking differently about the COVID epidemic or the pandemic at this point. Um, so I, I, I would hope that they look at each other in the mirror for once throughout this whole thing and says, we should probably slow down. But here we are. Before we get to some comments on our social media, Stanley, do you think that his diagnosis, his status as a super spreader, and even his surviving coronavirus is going to significantly impact him next month at the polls? I think that anyone who is not already a hardcore Trump supporter and who is like pretty motivated to vote him out of office is going to be even more motivated now because the fact of the matter is he couldn't even control the coronavirus spread in his own White House. And he's a super spreader. And since he's come out of the hospital, he's been doing nothing but just popping perks or whatever kind of drugs he has and enraged tweetings. So I think he's going to be in big trouble. That doesn't mean that if we get enough votes, he will concede the election. So that's something we have to worry about. But it is where we are in the moment. And like, let's just very quickly just talk about the way that Trump has poisoned the entire Republican Party and helped them just come straight out into their white supremacist happy faces. Lindsey Graham, during um, a video the other day, said that black people can be safe if they are conservatives. You will be safe in South Carolina if you are a conservative. If you're a liberal, that's a different story. That's the type of energy that Trump and his people are pushing right now. So... I'm getting a few comments um, in from our social media. And interestingly enough, Tiamari says he probably is paying the doctor and they can't release info due to HIPAA. However, because he's a public um, figure, shouldn't they, like he's not only a public figure, but this is something that really impacts the future. So I'm wondering like, you know, 
Doesn't his information have to be released? And Bianca says, desperate times called for desperate measures. He's seeking to win by any means necessary. Clearly that's true, especially because he's you know, giving up his conservative values, being against fetal stem cell research to get that treatment. He is super spreading coronavirus in order to get to these events. Selena, do you feel like, do you feel like his diagnosis is negatively impacting him or positively? And also, do you think that the nature of coronavirus transmission is changing since we are seeing him, you know, recover and those around him recover? Or does it have to do with doctors that are paid better and more pliant like Tiamari suggested? Great question, Tammy. And to answer the first one, is it helping or hurting, hurting, helping or hurting him? I would say it's definitely hurting him. Um, he's doing very poorly in polls across the board. Um, so I think with his base, um, the narrative that he is trying to spin was, I beat Corona, right? So, and I was afraid that he was going to further trivialize the coronavirus pandemic if he did, uh, once we knew that he was at, he contracted the virus. And that's exactly what he did. We know that after he um, escaped from the hospital, uh, he did a some type of event where he was at the White House. He took off his mask stood there and saluted we don't know who and and he was just like and basically it kind of gave a feel of ooh look at me i'm so masculine i beat the virus we're going to beat the virus and mm -hmm. i think that for his base and those of us who can't think critically that works right because it's like oh well if trump is walking around with the coronavirus why can i not only that but trump held a campaign rally on wednesday literally days after escaping from the hospital um he he had a, a massive rally it was outdoors but you saw so many people not wearing the mask and he con continues to exasperate this pandemic by being reckless by being irresponsible and and by spreading this narrative that's the reason why people are dying it's because they see this leader who who they you know are, are modeling after and not only did he hold a rally but while he was at the rally he continued to dispel myths truths for instance at the rally trump said and i quote the coronavirus is disappearing right that is false. He's been downplaying the threat of the virus since March, since February. And recent data suggests that coronavirus is far from disappearing in the U.S. The pandemic is actually intensifying. This past week, half of U.S. states reported an increase in new cases and more than 10 states set new daily records. Plus, just on Friday, 48 hours ago, uh, the U.S. experienced its third consecutive day of more than 50,000 reported coronavirus cases. This man is dangerous. He's dangerous and he's also privileged. We need to remember that as the president of the United States, he is getting the best healthcare possible in this country. So sure, he's recovering. And sure, it might not be a big deal that a few members of his team get it. But let's not forget that this isn't over. And Selena, like you said, the mistruths are crazy and he is leading his ralliers. I, I just want to address that, you know, we're getting so many comments. Someone says, um, that's a lie and I'm fired. Um, someone says, listen to these folks talk. 
They just want to fear mongle. I think that's the word they were trying to spell. You shouldn't read the comments of people who season their food with butt cheek sweat. Like th that's what's happening here. <laughs> like, come on. If you want, if there's a whole bunch of right wing people in the chat right now. They're upset because Donald Trump isn't a competent president and his entire staff is incompetent and racist and doesn't wash their legs or their feet or their hands, which is why 34 of them got COVID. And now they're about to lose an election that the president probably is too insecure to acknowledge. So they're in here going off. Go back to Fox News and go back to the knuckle dragging propaganda spaces you're comfortable in. Listen, Bill Vargas says the numbers are inflated. Right wing or not, this is a public health issue. And on this show, we believe in science. The numbers are going up. It is proven science that wearing a mask, socially distancing and avoiding large scale events are the way to prevent further outbreaks and outbursts, especially as we are coming to a head in flu season. So regardless of what your beliefs are, you need to understand that what is happening will not go away unless we listen to the science. One, th one thing I want to say real quick, because there is a lot of comments about HIPAA. Um, HIPAA obviously protects uh, private information that you have not consented for release, right? So th there's this big mis misconception that doctors can just throw out the word HIPAA and it means everything that's ever been available is protected. And that's not necessarily the case. At some point in time, the doctors had to go to President Trump, show him his medical charts and says, this is what it is. You are obviously the president of the United States. What do you want us to consent to for your release? Trump can either consent to it all being released or none of it at all. So right here, what he is not saying is more important than what he is saying. So the questions of when was the last time you tested negative? When was the last time you took a coronavirus test? Those are pretty simple and fast answers. And for the doctor to come back out and say, I can't release that due to HIPAA, it says something totally different, that the president doesn't want you to know when he tested positive or when he tested negative or any of that information whatsoever. Now we have to ask ourselves, why is that the case? And so the fact of the matter is he isn't doing these things that a lot of other elected officials have consented to, even though there may have been some HIPAA protections there. The president doesn't want you to know about his information because he has continuously not been transparent, whether it be from his taxes, now to some of his medical rec records. And once again, this is not something that has been designed to discriminate upon uh, President Trump either. Most of the HIPAA laws and regulations were created because people were in fear of being discriminated upon because of their healthcare records, right? Mm -hmm. So if, if someone were to apply to a job and they had cancer in their family, they didn't want to disclose that because it would be a hard time for them to get medical insurance. This is HIPAA being used in a different way to weaponize the transparency of the Oval Office. Listen, all I know is that in line with our partnership with Black Enterprise, we here at Be Heard Talk are begging y'all, go to the polls because we are tired of discussing foolishness like this. We are in the middle of a pandemic and I am so excited to be turning it over <laughs> to Selena for our main story. Before that, I wanna ask y'all a question. Follow us at Be Heard Talk and DM us or comment to answer. Should we start an OnlyFans? Because yep. Black China is making $20 million a month on OnlyFans and we need to get sponsored, y'all. So go ahead, hit us up at Be Heard Talk on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and answer. Should your faves get an OnlyFans and rack in a few millies a month? I don't think that's the chance we talking about, Tammy. <laughs> that being said, thank you all. I, I won't be your OnlyFans if it's the one that we that I'm custom or heard of. What? I, I was saying I, I probably won't be on that OnlyFans if that's the one I, I'm usually hearing about now. Uh, at least what what I hear what Black China is doing. 
Well, fun fact, OnlyFans is also, it's not just not safe for work material anymore. Cardi B is using it for marketing and promotion of upcoming materials and giving fans a sneak peek. So if y'all want to know more about our lives, including the cat sleeping on my bed and how Stanley looks so chocolatey on screen, hit us up, let us know. And thank you for tuning into the News Roundup. Hold on, Tammy. Zachary Miller says no one is trying to see Stanley on OnlyFans. Fair. Shout out to Zach. <laughs> Damn, that's dirty. <laughs> yeah, I agree. All right. Well, thank you so much for that, Tammy. We are going to switch gears and talk more about police reform, um, as I mentioned at the very top of the show. So as we know, along with being one of the most crucial election years of our lifetime, 2020 was marked by police killings of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and many other Black Americans, which triggered an ongoing string of nationwide protests led by the global Black Lives Matter movement, calling for the end of police violence against people of color. And I know there's been a lot of um, difference of opinion going on in the chat here, but maybe we can agree that black people are being killed at a disproportionate rate by police. Those are the facts. So the protests have focused on the expansive authority given to police in the US who have not only become law enforcers, but also the default responders when it comes to homelessness, mental and physical health distress, substance abuse, school discipline, etc. Along with these expansive authority, with with this expansive authority, police have also been granted um, a, a wide latitude to employ tactics of force and have not been held accountable. We don't see enough accountability or oversight. Now, even though the protests have been shining a light on these issues, um, a number of state and local level governments have been have been taking action. Some of them have been trying to actually listen to the protests going on on the ground. And basically they're calling for, again, for people to um, feel like we're being protected by, these, uh, by the police force rather than terrorized. However, on the other end, we just saw what happened in Breonna Taylor's case. The men, the cops that shot her, were not directly indicted or charged for killing this young black woman who was unarmed, literally in her bed sleeping. So this is where we're at right now, right? We're in the streets, we're calling for police reform. Um, but for many of us, the changes that we want are not happening at quickly enough. And as a result, we're still seeing killings, you know, as recent as Jonathan Price and so many others. Um, so that's why on this episode of Be Her Talk, we're gonna spend the next 30 minutes talking about police reform, what that looks like, and the impact it will have on the 2020 election. And again, that's why we invited our very special guest, Rodney W. Jacobs Jr. Again, he is the assistant director for the City of Miami Civilian Investigative Panel. So I wanted to throw the first question at you, Rodney, and ask uh, what type of police reform measures are we seeing around the nation in wake of the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement? I think you may be on mute, Rodney. I may have muted you. I'm sorry about that. 
once again, that is the same for 2020. You are on mute. <laughs> um, but I think we're seeing a lot of different reform efforts across the nation. Um, obviously, here in Miami, or at least for our county, we've instituted another layer of civilian oversight um, to do oversight over the county officers. Uh, there have been questions about ending qualified immunity and what that means for the criminal justice system uh, when looking to prosecute a cop. Uh, we have seen different revisions and reforms for law enforcement officers' bill of rights in every state. Um, and we've even seen some of lawmakers push back on unions. Obviously, we saw um, what happened in uh, after the George Floyd shooting, and they disbanded their police force there for a little bit of time. Uh, but one thing I want to encourage everyone to look into when, when we're talking about these reform efforts is really how it affects um, the Black community from a practical space, because there's so many of these police reform efforts that happen on all different layers of government, from your, from your local government to elected officials um, to the police unions themselves. And it's, in, it's important for us to, if we're going to reform something, that we actually have something better off than what we currently have right now. Um, so it, it's simple to say that this isn't working, but the harder, the harder answer is to figure out what does work and make sure we do that in an efficient and effective way. So Zachary Miller chimed into the conversation. He says on Facebook, police indictments only happen when people, when they are people of color and they shoot a white person. Well, um, thank you so much for making that comment, Zachary. Um, you know, to your, uh, Rodney, you're shaking your head. Did you want to respond to that? No, I'm just, that's not wholly accurate. Um, okay, by and large, police officers, doesn't matter if you're black or white, um, it's hard to get an indictment against. Gotcha. Um, so Stanley, you know, we talked, we're talking about, reform, the need for it. Are you happy with the progress that's being made in increasing police accountability and reform since the rise of Black Lives Matter this year? So let me just jump on that, um, Rodney's comment to Zachary real quick. Um, Rodney's 100% right. It's very hard to get any police officer indicted or charged, but the cases where we've seen the most accountability tend to be where it's an officer of color, whether it was the um, Asian officer who shot the young man in the building in pink houses or the um, the some lease officer who shot the white woman in Minnesota, um, you tend to see more accountability. At least we have publicly so far. Um, am I happy with the current progress that we've made? First, let me say there's no such thing as police or criminal justice reform. The system is working the way it's supposed to work. You can't reform a system whose inherent goal is to put people inside of cages. With that being said, I think there have been some efforts made to increase police accountability and to shift the way that we look at our prison and jail systems. Do I think that those things will completely heal the problems that we have here? Absolutely not, but it is good harm reduction. I also think that the police unions and district attorney associations have an outsized amount of power. For example, in New York State, there is a state senator right now in Brooklyn who is being um, who has a challenger on the right and the New York Police Department just took out a million dollars to support his Republican challenger because they're saying this elected official is trying to keep criminals in the street. And things like that happening, not just in New York, but all over the country, are the reason that so many elected officials who are already soft on actually doing something about this criminal legal system hesitate to hold police, judges, district attorneys, and all people within the mechanisms of the criminal legal system accountable. Tammy, I want to get your voice. I want to get you to chime here on this discussion. Uh, Deshaun chimed in on Twitter. He says, I think we should take away the police immunity. Let them get their own insurance. Tammy, where do you stand on police reform? And do you think that we're making progress in this area? Oh, did Tammy just go on mute? Okay, try it again, Tammy. Okay, to be honest, I think that 
It's tricky. I do work in, you know, some police reform organizations here in New York, and we do see like bits of progress being made. However, because I am a radical leftist, I do believe, or rather, I think that reform is not enough and reform cannot happen in a system that has built and enabled them. We need to remember that many forces, including the NYPD, which is one of the biggest and baddest gangs in America, are actively supported by the military, i.e. they get equipment, uh, instructions, training from a group that pillages the entire world. The second is the origin. How can you fix something when it was doing what it was created to do? In order to reform that, we would need to sort of go back all the way to the beginning and look at what policing even means or needs to be in our communities. I think that the reason we're not seeing the reform that we want to see is because people are afraid to look at those harder, more long-term questions like what is it that we actually mean by safety in the community? What is it that we need? And how can we disperse funding to groups of individuals more trusted with community safety and policing versus just giving guns to people who arguably aren't trained enough to be safe or secure? Tammy, you made so many great points, and I definitely want to uh, double down on some of the things you said. Before we do, Don L chimed in on Facebook. He says, body cam footage takes so long, if ever to come out to prove a case. So thank you there. Again, I think the sentiment we're seeing is um, we've seen some change, but not enough. Um, Tammy, you know, just to be frank, are you calling for us to defund the police? You're saying that you don't believe in this system. So, you know, what is it that you're advocating for? Defund is the bare minimum. Um, I was extremely disappointed with Corey Johnson and the city council's decision to only defund by a billion dollars, most of which ended up being fake. Um, they spend, they spent 250 billion dollars or sorry, million dollars on settlement one year in one year. Like defund them so that they won't have the money to pay for settlement and that black families can actually get justice when things happen. Rodney, I want to get you to chime in. But before we do, Kate Gardner just left a comment on our Facebook. She says criminal justice reset is needed from the bottom to top, from police to prosecutors to the laws that encourage mass incarceration. Thank you so much, Kate. We yes, tend to agree. Um, Rodney, you work you oversee a police oversight committee. You hear the calls for defunding the police. They're coming from people like Tammy. Where do you stand? Do you think it's time to defund the police? Listen, I'm here for a reappropriation of funds uh, from police departments into other areas of the community that need it the most. Um, I, I think we have to be careful of saying a total elimination right now today of taking out all fundings from police departments because we actually have seen this before. I know Tammy... I uh, had mentioned before, hey, people aren't willing to do the hard work or look at themselves in the mirror, but there have been organizations that have literally defunded the police. Uh, we see that obviously in um, Minneapolis after George Floyd, uh, New Jersey had tried it for a, a point in time, uh, and even out east in Eugene or out west in Eugene, Oregon. But what happens in those situations is that typically that city or municipality opts for the county police uh, department. In those situations where they don't contract with the county police 
which gives them less accountability and uh, transparency, and they would have to get some of the third level militia group uh, to come in like Pinkertons or something. And I don't think anyone's advocating for that. You know, shifting the onus of money to another thing, yet still contracting for the county alternative to policing solves no issue, right? So what we have to do is, is the practical analysis of the matter. And I'm not saying that uh, police departments could exist into perpetuity the way they are, right? And I think uh, Stanley hit the point nail, uh, hit the nail on the head when talking about safety. I think if any of us were sitting in a room right now and I went around the room and it says, hey, what makes you feel safe in your community? It doesn't matter if you're white, black, or polka dot. A lot of those people wouldn't say police. They would say, hey, having my close family with me or rubbing my dog's belly. This is what makes me feel safe. And the reason for that is most people don't necessarily use police services that often. And, and, and so the funny thing about this conversation is that you'll have police chiefs and sheriffs go around the country to talk about how death rates are down and how home break-ins are down and we're doing a great job of what we're doing. And that's not because they've hired more police officers. It's because we have realized that in order for crime or, or those other kind of rates to go down, it doesn't mean you need more cops to do it. Right. So we understand these things. And I tell police chiefs all the time, you can't have it both ways. You can't say that you have cut your force uh, by 20 percent, but but homicide and home break ins are down and then say you need more police and then say you need us here for safety. So somewhere the intersection or the keystone is what does safety look like in our communities? And it doesn't necessarily mean a police force with militarized weaponry. Um, it, it's something completely different. And I do think that as um, we grow old, we also I mean, as we as we grow in America, uh, we don't we don't just grow old; we grow up. Um, so because of that, I don't I don't necessarily ascribe to the narrative that you know although policing was slave patrols in the 16 and 1700s, it has changed over a litany of time and space, and that means something. It means it still can continue to change. We just have to make sure that we're at the forefront of the table when those changes are instituted. Rodney, it looks like Deshaun, who chimed in on Twitter, agrees. He says, I don't think the police should be defunded. Stanley, where do you stand? Are you out there calling to defund the police? Or, you know, Rodney made a great point. Yeah, absolutely defund the police. I think Rodney's point is that, like, we need to have a conversation about safety. And some people think that the police keep them safe. But then, as Rodney pointed out, once you start asking the question of what safety looks like for them, it's not actually the police. We've seen safe communities. They tend to be middle class and upper middle class white communities where folks have opportunity, they have access, and they have agency. You can't depress an entire community, strip away its resources, give them no hope, and then be surprised when people react in a way that like could be considered violent or when communities aren't as safe. Everyone is desperate. The fact of the matter is the police are a military force and they're not helping to make anyone safer. For example, in New York State, New York City, pardon me, the New York Police Department's budget is $6 billion on record, $10 billion overall, and they have offices and precincts in Israel. How does that help anybody in New York City? Additionally, we have started to use the police force to take the place of the Band-Aid piece for the issues in our country we don't want to address. For example, in New York City, there are over 80,000 people who are homeless right now. 30% of those people have full-time jobs. There's an entirely different section of around 40% of those people who are children. And the rest of them have mental health issues. And you know what we've done to address that and mitigate that? We arrest them. Imagine if we had a real robust and healthy housing mechanism in New York City so that so many people would not be homeless and also a real and well-funded mental health um, apparatus so that we wouldn't have people in the streets who are homeless because they have mental health issues and do not know how to handle them. You can't do that though, because we put about $1.2 billion in, 
and mental health care and only about $1 billion in our schools and the rest of it goes to the police. Um, well, hold on, Ronnie. Let me just get this point. And Will uh, Vega says no defunding. Cops get paid 56000 a year. Are you trying to pay them less? Yes. Well, real quick, Tammy, I'm sorry. I, yeah. just, just real quick. I'm sorry. I know you guys want to go. But like the fact of the matter is, when you're talking about defunding the police, we're not even talking about touching these police officers' salaries, which, you know, the mm -hmm. fact of the matter is, Cops get paid more than teachers. A cop can hit six figures in New York City in five years. A teacher might not see that for 10 years or when they reach their cap. Additionally, there's an entire military budget that does not touch people's salaries that you could cut, and you can cut the police budget in half, and it would not mess with people's pay, but it would mess with their overtime, and we see all the useless overtime that cops are getting all across the country. Tammy, I know you wanted to jump in, and I know Rodney is dying to jump in too. Tammy? So I just want to go back to an earlier point. I wholeheartedly agree. Even without cutting cops' salaries, there are a number of things that could be cut, such as police presence in schools, particularly elementary and middle schools in the hood, uh, military equipment that is unnecessary, such as the use of brand spanking new riot shields in peaceful protests, and a number of other things. Um, however, even if we look at salaries, I wanna point out something really important that's been going around lately. When Rodney was talking about safety and how people don't feel safe with the police, did you know that cops are not actually obligated and legally bound to protecting you? A lot of people, when they talk about the fears of defunding the police, they fear that, you know, crime will overtake their neighborhoods and they'll have no one to report, you know, assaults and robberies, etc. to. But there, as Rodney is saying, there are entire court cases that back this up. So first of all, a dean and professor of law states, neither the constitution nor state laws impose a general duty upon police officers or other government officials to protect individuals from harm, even when they know the harm will occur. The Supreme Court has repeatedly held that the government has only a duty to protect persons who are, quote, in custody. So, you know, officials or anybody right. under their care. Courts have repeatedly rejected that argument. And the Supreme Court in cases DeShaney versus Winnebago and Town of Castle Rock versus Gonzalez has nailed that down. Additionally, Additionally, in the case of the Parkland school shooting, they ruled that the security officers there were actually not liable because they were allowed to leave upon perceived individual okay. Well, Rodney, I want to get your response to that. No, listen, you know, Tammy, listen, got the uh, got the law degree while in quarantine or something because she listen, she that that is literally what the law is like cops don't necessarily have a legal duty to protect you, even if they know physical harm may occur to you. Uh, so that that is, you know, settled law in, in a lot of jurisdictions. Um, so obviously the narrative around police circles is that, you know, that they put their life on the line and they do a lot of hard things. And some of them do. And some of them are very courageous, but there is no legal precedent for you to do so. Um, so I, I think that's important to keep in mind because a lot of people do go to that knee-jerk reaction and say, hey, um, you know, cops protect us and do this. But if you ever get in the situation and uh, uh, you got to go to court because of it, more than likely they'll side with the police officer. Um, I, I just wanted to sum up by saying that there was a, a comment, I think, or uh, maybe uh, Stanley had mentioned uh, about the, the police officer salaries. Now, I understand that you guys are in New York City and 
things literally work different in New York City than anywhere else on the planet. But most places around the United States, 80 to 90% of police officer budgets are salaries. Like it's just personnel costs. It's your 401k benefits, your pension benefits, and the salary that they pay you. Uh, everything else, maybe the little things they buy here and there um, for, for police officers, skills or uniforms and things of that nature. But most of those things are salaries. So when we're talking about defunding or reappropriating money, you can't do it in a, in a meaningful way unless you're laying people off. That's just the fact of the matter. You have to cut police officer jobs if you're going to take money out of the police officer budget. Also here, like I say, in, other, in most locations, maybe outside of New York, uh, the school police are run by the school boards. And that's a totally separate pot of money, right? So the school boards have their own money that are appropriated via a different kind of tax. I know here in Florida, we don't have income taxes. So we do things in a myriad of different ways. And a lot of other jurisdictions are the same. So when we're talking about these things from a civics point of view, we also have to figure out where the money's at. And this is something that I continuously tell people. You have to understand where you can get your wins, right? Because this is a three-layer system. I tell people all the time, listen, if you're upset that someone, that, that there's a chokehold uh, departmental order um, on the books with your police department, you need to be mad at your chief of police because that's that's their that's their ball in their court. If you're upset that police officers get relieved of duty with pay, you're probably upset at your elected officials because they've collectively bargained that into their contract with police unions. If you're upset because people aren't being, if police officers aren't being charged for police-involved shootings, you're mad at your district attorney. So you have to be able to couch your issue in the right mechanism in order to get that change. If you're just yelling at the cops all day, or if you're just yelling at the police chief all day, they can't do anything about it in some of those situations, even though they want to because the law prohibits it. So it's, we have to be very tactful and, like, once again, practical in how we go about this. Thank you so much, Rodney, for the breakdown. Unfortunately, we do have to bring this conversation to a close. But before we do, I do want to get everyone's final thoughts about not only police reform, but how it will affect the 2020 election. Look, police reform is on the ballot. Criminal justice reform is on the ballot. We've heard from Senator um, Harris. We've heard from Joe Biden. Uh, and we see what's happening under the Trump administration, where in the past he has um, incited police to use physical force when locking people up. That was a, a year or two ago. And even told the Proud Boys to stand back and stand by. So, Stanley, I'll throw it at you first. What are your thoughts on you know, police reform and how it will affect the 2020 election? The fact of the matter is the police police departments all across the country have proven that they're white supremacist mechanisms, um, pardon me, white supremacist states. And we have to, first off, get the white supremacists out of there. Second off, we need to pass legislation that is harm reduction. What that means is it reduces the amount of harm that police departments can do to people, that the criminal justice system, pardon me, the criminal legal system can do to people, and reduce the amount of um, harm that private institutions can do to people through private prisons and jails. That's the first step. The second step is really helping to redefine what safety looks like. And the third step, which really is the first step, is to make sure we are funding the things that we need in order for people to live happy, healthy, and sustainable lives. I guarantee you, if everyone has a, a job that pays a living wage, stable, affordable housing, and effective and robust healthcare resources, crime will decrease because the number one crime stopper is job creation. Thank you for that, Tammy. We're bringing this conversation to a close, but I want to get your thoughts. Police reform is on the ballot. How do you think it's going to affect this election? And is this something that would incentivize you to actually go to the polls and vote? 
Sadly, I don't think police reform is influencing this election at all, just because of the dire nature of this current election. Even if, you know, Joe Biden has already come out saying he's not in support of defunding the police. And honestly, we haven't heard too much in, in terms, from my opinion, we haven't heard too much in terms of like mass incarceration reform or police reform from their platform. I do know they're trying to integrate what progressives want more and more, um, but I don't think there's anything strong enough. And sadly, I think black people are still gonna show up at the polls for them because it's that or like Trump. So I don't think it has a say in the election. All we can do is really keep our foots on local politicians next to get local reforms passed because especially in some of these you know, places, it's really, really needed. Um, Rodney, I want to give you the last word as we wrap up this conversation, um, not only about, you know, police reform and, and, the, and the ballots, but also just the power of police unions. Where do you stand on that? And do you think that they have too much power? Yeah, obviously, I think police unions have way too much power. I mean, the the whole notion and the idea of a, of any kind of union is to ensure you get the rights that are entitled to you, so that you're not working overtime without fair labor or fair pay. Um, but I think police uh, police unions or policing in general um, in municipalities they they really have these areas um, pretty pretty much back into a corner. Uh, so they don't really have any unfair bargaining power. If if the city elected officials and leaders say, "Hey, we don't want to do this," you know, officers say, "Well, we're not going to show up to work," right? And no one wants that, right? It, it would look bad if you're elected official if that were to occur. Um, so I, I don't necessarily think the police unions are necessary in this way, uh, especially on the city level. Now, when you're talking about legal opponents and things like that, maybe so. But obviously, the biggest issue here is police unions. They have to be changed or eliminated entirely uh, because I think that will give you the accountability and transparency necessary to have better police officers. Listen, at the end of the day, policing is a job. Right? That's it. You may be bad at that job. Find a new one. People find new jobs every single day. And so when we look at it in that vein, we have to understand that, hey, there's some people that are just not cut out for this kind of work. They need to be held accountable and they need to leave. There is nothing controversial about saying that whatsoever. And I say it all the time. We are on the same team of weeding out bad apples, taking out this bad policing uh, a toxicity that has eroded policing and finding ways to reform it that looks more like safety. Um, and, and no one should be against that. I mean, that is a very non-controversial statement. Um, thank you so much for that, Rodney. And I do want to end uh, by just saying this, you know, in, in response to something you just said, I don't know, I think policing is more than just a bad job. It's an institution that inherently discriminates and kills black and brown bodies at a disproportionate rate. Um, you know, I, I agree with a lot of the sentiment that was said about um, calling for systemic change. However, I also understand the reality of this situation and that unfortunately we are gonna have to take a more incremental approach, which is why I say, yes, it is time to move beyond the superficial changes and fundamentally rethink not just policing, but public safety. We need to reduce the scope of policing, if you ask me. We need to be investing in our communities and we need to ensure that abusive officers are held accountable. And this will not change until we not only call to defund the police, but defund the elected officials that are taking money from police unions. 
They say defund the police on one hand, but then they vote in favor of police unions, which again, it has not been helpful to our community and people that look like me, frankly. And I just wanna end by saying this, we talked about Megan Thee Stallion earlier, this, earlier on the show, and as much harm and danger as she was put in by Tory Lanez, her abuser who shot her, she did not tell police that a firearm was involved in her incident because she knew she would be endangered by the police people we pay our taxpayer money to, to protect and serve us, supposedly. And that just goes to show the sentiment and the lack of trust in the community. So again, this is a big issue. We can't tackle it all today, but I think this is a start to the conversation. And I would just encourage everyone, move to the polls. As Tammy said, yes, Joe Biden is not calling for to defund the police. But if you ask me, he is willing to listen and, 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 and hear the voices of our communities if we vote him in and then hold him accountable and make sure that our interests are um, basically being implemented if he is elected. So I just want to end on that. I want to thank everyone for chiming in to be her talk today. We had a great time. Um, also, please support us on Patreon.com. We're not on OnlyFans yet. I don't know. Maybe Stanley and Tammy might work that out. But no, uh, really, for, yes. now, <laughs> for now, you can support us on Patreon.com. And you please also continue to subscribe to Black Enterprise wherever and however you get your news. Till next week, guys. Take care. Peace.